Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy Thursday at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. Sometimes you can uh, outthink yourself. You can say, I'm going I'm to try and say this piece of the story this way and then start to rethink it and rethink it and rethink it and then lose the point altogether. And I find that sometimes the instincts will hold true, that you stay with what you originally thought was the way to present the storyline, the material, because more often than not, that's the way it's going to go down best for the audience. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and today we are delighted to welcome back to the show Martin Doblemeyer. Longtime listeners will recall that we've spoken to him a couple of times before, talking about various films that he has produced. We've talked most recently about his work on Abraham Joshua Heschel, a biography called Spiritual Audacity. And then earlier, we talked to him about a biography film about Dorothy Day called Revolution of the Heart. Martin Doblemeyer is the founder of Journey Films. He holds degrees in religious studies and broad Broadcast journalism and honorary degrees in fine arts and humane letters. And since 1984, he's produced and directed more than 30 films focused on religion, faith, and spirituality. Martin Doblemeyer, I am so glad to welcome you back to Things Not Seen. Oh, it's a joy to be back with you, David. Thank you for having me. Well, and today we're going to be talking about not one new product, but five repackaged products and a new way to access those products on your website of Journey Films. And maybe that's the place to start. And then I have some directions I want to go in this conversation. But to begin with, I've mentioned two of these documentaries about Abraham Joshua Heschel and Dorothy Day. But why don't you tell us about what this series is that Journey Films is now offering? Well, over the last number of years, David, we've been doing mostly biographical films, not exclusively, but mostly biographical films. It's something that I hold dear to my heart, but all these people are, I think, just remarkable figures of the 20th century. And so this goes back to a film that I did in 2003 
on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German Nazi resistor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, the film, thank God, was very successful for us. Uh, and then I did a few other different kinds of films, but I came back to the genre of biographical documentaries a few years ago. And then we started to add into that group of thinking Reinhold Niebuhr, the great American public theologian, Howard Thurman, the mystic, the African-American theologian who actually was one of the most important figures behind the scenes of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. And then Dorothy Day, as you said and mentioned, Dorothy Day and Abraham Joshua Heschel. And what we've decided to do is we've just really, as a response to a lot of people's inquiries, these were five seminal figures for the, I think, the, one of the most turbulent centuries in history, the 20th century. And these were the people who I thought kept the questions alive about where is God? Who, where is God in the midst of all of this? How should we respond to what's happening to us? And these were the people, Bonhoeffer and Reinhold Niebuhr, Dorothy Day, Howard Thurman, and Heschel, who could actually keep those questions alive and actually come to some resolution about how they were through the actions that they had to respond to the crisis of their day. And, and I think by virtue of that, continue to be prophetic voices to us, even now, well into the 21st century. There's something that struck me as I went back and reviewed these different films, and some of them I had seen a couple of times before, some of them it had just been once, but again, I, I just phenomenal work all the way through. But one of the things that rang out to me early on in the Bonhoeffer biopic that you did was someone saying, most people don't know who Bonhoeffer is, and yet he's important to talk about. And what I found was that was a through line for each of these prophetic voices. Like, you didn't do a film on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You did a film on Howard Thurman, who was in many ways the mentor to Martin Luther King. You didn't necessarily do something on Pope John Paul II. You did something on Dorothy Day. And I'm loving the fact that you're looking in the kind of corner of the picture, and you're saying, who was there beside the people that we always talk about? And who was there either standing alongside, offering strength to, or whispering the ears of the people that are the kind of common voices that come to our lips? Now, these are all my words as I'm beginning to think about this project as a whole. But as I'm saying that, have I got the ethos right? Have I got the feeling right of what you were trying to do, or would you say it in a different way? Oh, no, I, I think you said it brilliantly, David, as you always do. But I, I think the key thing for us is I didn't really go out to, to make a series of films about the people who were quietly behind the scenes of anything. I really went out to do a series of films about people that I loved and cared about who had actually impacted me on my own personal journey, I, I mean, I'd be missing a key point here if I didn't say that I, I really cared about these people and I've read these people and thought about them a lot and care about making sure that other people could connect to them. And yes, they were, in some cases, people behind the scenes of the civil rights movement. They were the, some foundation for Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement. But these were seminal figures in their own right. These were people who I, I think really could, cannot be forgotten because I think they have so much to say to us today in different ways. I mean, what's interesting to me is they all come from, they come from different faith traditions, certainly from different historical moments and different cultures. And yet they're all trying to figure out who God is for them, what God is saying to them at their historic moment, and how they should respond to that. And isn't that the formula that we're all looking for? I mean, that's ultimately what we're trying to do, try to decipher what we feel as though God is saying to us and how we're supposed to move forward with that. 
Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Martin Doblemeyer. He's the founder of Journey Films, and since 1984, he's produced and directed more than 30 films focused on religion, faith, and spirituality. Today, we're talking about the re-release and packaging of five of those films, all focused on prophetic voices from the 20th century. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Reinhold Niebuhr, Howard Thurman, Dorothy Day, and Abraham Joshua Heschel. I want to stick with this for a moment because there was something that struck me when I went back and watched the Reinhold Niebuhr documentary that you did, An American Conscience. And it's a moment when Cornell West says, Reinhold Niebuhr wrote the book of ethics that still stands as the most important work of ethics of the 20th century, Moral Man and Immoral Society. But I would venture to guess that most seminary students, university students, they probably have never heard of this book, let alone Reinhold Niebuhr's name. And so I want to ask about how you see your task as keeping alive and maybe even unearthing some of these things that a vanguard of thinkers today will say, these are treasures and the people that created these are treasures, but nobody's heard of them. So talk to me about what it means to bring that back from the shadows into the main focus. Well, I think, David, there are, there are two strands to think about this. If you got on the bus and started to ask about who Reinhold Niebuhr was, you probably wouldn't, you'd get all these like, who, what are you talking about? But I actually, I think in the seminary world, it's been really wonderful to see because when we released the original film on Reinhold Niebuhr, I did 40 events around the country and we did, we packed houses all across America, showing the film and having conversation, discussion with panels and things about Reinhold Niebuhr. So, so and then I got uh, a communication from David Greenhall, who's the president out at Eden Seminary, saying that there's just no question that there seems to be, we've contributed to the revival of interest in Reinhold Niebuhr. And you were asked, what's the purpose? I think part of the purpose of doing these films is to be able to do that kind of work, to be able to say, these are really, this is an important character in Niebuhr, and no different, I think, than in, in Thurman or Heschel and Dorothy Day. These are really remarkable people who've left a legacy as long as we're awake enough, you know, we to be woke enough to be able to go back and say, no, these people are contributing to who we are today. And we really do benefit if we can go back and revisit them and carry forward what's, what they were trying to do in their time. Not to say that all the issues that they confronted are identical to our, to our issues of today, because they don't, they only go so far for us, frankly. I mean, if you look at the body of work, I mean, Heschel never spoke about LGBTQ issues. It just wasn't on the radar. Very few of them talked about the environment. It just wasn't on the radar, save, I think, maybe for Howard Thurman, who did write about the environment. But they confronted the issues of their day with, as Karl Barth would say, they, uh, that a good preacher should have the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And that's exactly what they did. They took their faith out into the field and tried to transform the world for the better. And so that actually leads to a kind of thought that I've had several times when I've come to these documentaries that you've made. I wonder, what would it be like if we were to shuffle the deck and to have another set of voices that didn't make this five? Like, who would have been in your roster to, if you had infinite time and resources, if you would have done an alternate five prophetic voices? Have you thought about who might be in that cluster? Well, I would have loved to have been able to do my own take on Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, Gandhi was a major figure of the 20th century. That's if I kept myself 
bound by the the clock of the 20th century. I, you know, we could break that too. I mean, I, but I, I think there are other figures to consider, but a lot of them already had documentary films made about them. And so I thought one of the purposes of what we're doing is to try to do something nobody had tried before. And my, my father used to say to me, well, son, if nobody's ever made the film about that person or that subject matter, maybe there's a good reason for that. <laughs> and I, I would confront and say, well, dad, give me a try. Just let, let me have a shot at doing this. And we feel proud that we've been able to tell stories, uh, tell a story, and then bring it to a wider audience. I'm the one who has to go in and sit down with a team of people at public television and say, I want to do a film about Howard Thurman. You may not know about him, but if you just look into who who he was, the books that he wrote, the inspiration that he was, the idea that he comes from, he's a descendant, a grandson of people who were enslaved and becomes one of the ranking theologians of the 20th century, his influence on Martin Luther King Jr. Let me take a shot at it and make this film. And of course, their immediate response is they're concerned that there's not enough name value in Thurman that's going to draw a large enough audience. And then we make the film, bring it out. The audience is strong enough. We win an Emmy, a regional Emmy for the film. And now it's a different moment. People are pleased that we had that film as part of the roster. So I'm dealing with a twofold challenge. One is the fact that we're just, we're doing films on subjects of religion to begin with. How tricky is that? I mean, really, when you think about it, that's dangerous territory to begin with. And we run up to a lot of resistance in that, but we accept that. And then we're profiling in this series, we're profiling figures who don't necessarily have the highest name recognition value, but people that I think whose genuine life stories and the the legacy they've left for all of us is really worth remembering. Well, and as we're moving towards our first break, I think this would also be a good time to make sure that listeners know that in you've mentioned that these were primarily produced for broadcast on public broadcasting systems and PBS stations around the country. But now you are moving towards offering them as a streaming option on your own website, journeyfilms.com. And so talk to us about moving from this primary distribution old, sort of an old style of distribution onto the broadcast medium into a new world in some ways of streaming. Well, what's happened, of course, is we've had a big change in the delivery of films that's really sort of changed all of us as filmmakers and how we're going to do this. So in the future, we're going to continue to provide our films to public television. They, they've been incredibly supportive of us. They give us a wide national audience and support as we release these films. But on what we would consider the back end, people who want to get copies of the film, be able to use the film in congregations and seminaries and and synagogues and churches, how are they going to be able to do that? Well, now you can do that because we can actually make that available to them either in a DVD form, traditional DVD form, or they can stream them and therefore download the film and be able to use it in their Tuesday night gatherings or how, how in Sunday school or Sabbath school, however they use them. And that's we create educational material to go along with that so that we can facilitate that the best way we can. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted today to welcome back Martin Doblemeyer. Longtime listeners will recall that he has been on the show several times before talking about his films, The Revolution of the Heart, The Dorothy Day Story, and Spiritual Audacity, The Abraham Joshua Heschel Story. Today, he's talking about those films and three others, a film on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a film on Reinhold Niebuhr called An American Conscience, and a film on Howard Thurman called Back against the wall, which have been packaged together 
in the Prophetic Voices series offered by his company, Journey Films, which he helped to found. Martin Doblemeyer has been making films since 1984. Since that time, he has made 30 films, and we are delighted to have him back on the show, and this conversation will continue right after the break. We'll be back in just a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. Today, we are delighted to welcome back to the show Martin Doblemeyer. Longtime listeners will recall that he's been on the show before talking about two films that he has made for public television. One was the Dorothy Day story, The Revolution of the Heart, and the next was Spiritual Audacity, the Abraham Joshua Heschel story. He's taken those two films and three others about Howard Thurman, Reinhold Niebuhr and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and they are being presented now through his company Journey Films as the Prophetic Voices series, which is available both on DVD and also through streaming on their website. And we have been talking about what it was to be producing these films, and we're going to be continuing that conversation. So one of the things that I occasionally do, because some would argue I'm a little masochistic, is I occasionally go on the ombudsman's page of the public broadcasting system. In other words, I go to the website of PBS or NPR, and I go to the place where the person that fields all the complaints answers the complaints. And one of the things that I notice again and again is that public broadcasting, whether we're talking about national public radio or the PBS system, some of the main complaints that they get happen whenever they dare to show anything that mentions religion. There's a real pushback sometimes from people who say, we are a country that is secular and we shouldn't be clogging our airwaves with one particular viewpoint of one particular faith tradition. And so I'm imagining that when you walk in to pitch these films, like you have here in the Prophetic Voices series, that you don't just have to overcome some of the things that you've already mentioned, that this person is perhaps obscure or they aren't well-known, but maybe also either stated or unstated, there might be some resistance from some of the folks sitting in that room around the table because they know that these are the kind of complaints that they're going to get. And so I'm, I'm wondering, how do you address both those complaints that maybe are stated to you and maybe even the unstated ones that you know are in the room? No, that's a great question, David. 
So I, first of all, because I'm working at public television, which is different than commercial television, they have at least the, the trappings of saying that it's not so much, we're not all that interested in the commercial success of what we're presenting. We're more interested in the purity and the need to present it. So that's part of the reason why I'm at public television to begin with, because I have to admit that the kinds of films that I bring to them don't necessarily always ring the bell for commercial success. It just doesn't. And so I'm feeling grateful to be able to bring public television these kinds of films. But also, too, I understand this is federal money, state monies, donation money that's coming in. And so there can be people who would be very upset about the idea that my money is going to something that I really don't believe in. It's the advancement of a religion, and we don't want to see that happening, not on my nickel. And so I am thoughtful about that. And I realize that I have to be able to present stories about people who actually not only exercise their own faith, but the consequences of their execution of that faith impacts everyone. So you take a story about Abraham Heschel, his presence on the front lines with Martin Luther King Jr. to say that he, as a Jew, as a white Jewish man, will stand right next to an African-American Christian. And we're standing here for the same reason, which is to create an awareness of the needs, the injustices that are out there, and the needs for civil rights. That's the application of what he believed in his heart, taught to him by his faith tradition. And that now transcends the doctrines, the dogmas of the religion, and goes right to the heart of the fact that he's there to transform the world. His reasoning for doing that, his, his foundation for doing that is his faith. We don't back away from that. I don't turn my eyes away from that. All right? I don't even downplay that. I mean, I'm going right for that. Uh, but at the same time, you should pay attention to this man because he actually had an impact on the history of this country. And he did so out of faith. And I did that, I think, for each one of the films that we did. Even Bonhoeffer, who's not an American character, but he certainly had an impact on the good versus evil global dilemma that we were in in the, in the Second World War. So all these characters really had a broader impact than simply expounding their religious faith and traditions and dogmas and actually had, a, had an impact in the social and political fabric of the nation. And that's one thing that really struck me about all these films. So you can look at them, just as you said, as religious films or films that talk about a religious person, and that is definitely front and center. But at the same time, and you've begun to point towards it, but I really want to make it explicit for our listeners, each of these in some way were connected to, for want of a better phrase, let's call it kind of world historical events. Okay, so Bonhoeffer was not just some obscure German theologian, but he was also involved in the multiple plots to try and assassinate Adolf Hitler. And Howard Thurman was not simply a mystic theologian who liked to pray with trees, but also he was a person who was there in classes with Martin Luther King Jr.'s father and helped to be a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. And Reinhold Niebuhr is someone who was being quoted by and and thought about in terms of the presidencies of Lyndon Baines Johnson and John F. Kennedy. And so you're talking about people who, even though they're not household names necessarily right now, they still are adjacent to these world historical events. So, so I imagine that is a very strong selling angle against the kind of objections that I was naming earlier, that you could walk in and say, listen, these personages help to give us a key to unlock understanding certain events that happen in history. Now, when I'm saying all this is my words, not yours, how am I doing? And, and w would you say this in a different way or would you highlight some other aspect that maybe I've missed? 
No, I think that's exactly right, David. I, I think that these characters operate out of a, a foundational center of their faith tradition. And they never wavered from that. They never backed down from that. And yet that understanding of how they felt as though God was speaking to them propels them out and to take risks and to try and transform the world that they see around them. And I think one of the things that's clear about all these characters, all five of these characters have in common, is that they were not naive to the evil in the world. These were not tree-hugging idealists who just thought, you know, using nice language to let's all love each other. The truth of the matter is love is an undergirding theme in everything. But these were not people who were naive about the evils of what one human being could do to another. And in fact, all of them to a person at different times paid a price for the decisions that they made to make public statements about what they felt as though their faith was calling them to do. The ultimate payment was... Right, I was a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who ultimately paid with his life. But Reinhold Niebuhr and um, Abraham Heschel paid dearly in terms of their own peers in their own seminaries and academic worlds, saying that you've got this wrong. You're going in the wrong direction here. We're embarrassed in some cases by your behavior. Your embar- your your behavior threatens us. Your public behavior threatens us as an institution and me as one of your peers here. So all these people paid dearly in many ways for their own commitments, but that never seemed to bother them enough to make them retreat to a shell of of comfort and protection. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all the way down the line to um, Abraham Heschel, this is not somebody who wanted to be indifferent about the issues that were confronting them. And all of them decided to take on the notion of indifference in different ways. So, uh, I mean, these are the kinds of people, frankly, that you admire. You can't help but admire them. And then you have to question yourself. Would I have had the kind of courage that they had at their moment in time? Will I have the kind of courage that they showed at their moment when my moment comes? If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted to be talking today once again to Martin Doblemeyer. Longtime listeners will recall that he's been on the show before talking about his biographical films, The Revolution of the Heart, The Dorothy Day Story, and Spiritual Audacity, The Abraham Joshua Heschel Story. He's the founder of Journey Films, and since 1984, he's made 30 of these kinds of films, many with a faith focus. Today, we're talking about the fact that these two films that I've just mentioned, plus three others about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Reinhold Niebuhr, and Howard Thurman have been released through his journeyfilms.com website as the Prophetic Voices series. So I'm going to do some greatest hits here in terms of what I really love, like moments that I love from some of these documentaries. And the one that I, I just, that just, I come back to again and again is in the Reinhold Niebuhr documentary and American conscience. There's this moment when the eminent theologian Stanley Hauerwas, and I forget whether it was time or Newsweek magazine had him on the cover at one point saying America's greatest theologian or whatever. And this guy, Stanley Hauerwas, who has an immense kind of 20th century reputation of his own sort of says, I love Reinhold Niebuhr and I read Reinhold Niebuhr and I really can't stand anything that Reinhold Niebuhr talked about or believed in. And I that mo- and I'm I'm not quoting it exactly right, but that's the spirit of it. He's like, you know, I take this person Reinhold Niebuhr seriously, and I disagree with him profoundly. And I love that moment so much. And I want to ask you about moments like that. But let's start with that moment. What is that moment to you in a documentary like this? I, I think that 
that one of the first things that I have to be aware of is that the other danger in bringing a film that's a biographical storyline about a religious figure that we've talked about who may not have the highest profile, doesn't have automatically a huge audience ready to, uh, chomping at the bit to be able to see this film. The other danger is that in my admiration of these people, I create a hagiography. I only show the good sides when all of them were human beings and all of them had failures. And not everybody agreed with everything that was going on in the life of all of these people, for sure. Uh, their own peers disagree with them. And I personally have some disagreements with some of the things that they wrote and said and did. Stanley Hauerwas, the eminent theologian who's down there at Duke University. I know Stanley, and I knew that if I went down to Duke, I'm in Alexandria, Virginia, I knew if I went down to Duke and we sat down for an hour with Stanley Hauerwas, he would give us plenty of material to come back home with, and he did. And he is someone, his, his line was to say hey, some, how, uh, that Reinhold Niebuhr was somebody I deeply admire. I just don't agree. In fact, I disagree with everything he said. And so, but Stanley Hauerwas um, wants to let you know that he's a pacifist. He's fundamentally a, a, a pacifist. In fact, he and I bound a little bit more closely in the presentation of Dorothy Day. His politics, his religion and his politics intersect, I think, more with Dorothy Day than they ever would with Reinhold Niebuhr. And yet, when he was asked to go and give the Gifford lectures in the UK you know, a number of years ago, one of his themes was on Reinhold Niebuhr. So Stanley admires Reinhold Niebuhr. He, he knows exactly who he is. He admires him. He knows what good television is. He, he knows it's provocative to be able to say, I love him, but I don't agree with a single thing he says. So he knows that I'm going to wind up putting him in the film saying just that. And I've given presentations, live presentations, shown the film. And every time, David, we show that part of the film, the whole audience just roars. They just love it. But it's also very true that you can love somebody, believe genuinely in their sincerity about how they're approaching their understanding of what God's calling them to do, and then not agree with them. I, I, Dorothy Day is a classic example. We talked about this in the show before, which is that uh, she fought hard for the rights of women to vote. She wound up in prison to defend the right, to, to help bring about the right of women to vote. In 1919, this happened. And yet throughout the course of her own life, she never voted. I, I find that not, I think that's beyond being questionable. I, I think that's a real, to me, that's a genuine disappointment for all the things I love about Dorothy Day. The fact that she didn't exercise her own right to go in there and vote and actually try to bring about that kind of change, I'm disappointed with. So I, I admire these people just like Stanley Howard was. I can admire these people, read them, love what it is they write, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you agree personally with everything that they said and wrote. I want to take a pause from the greatest hits that I'm moving through here and focus in on something that you said a moment ago. You, you said when you've screened that documentary on Reinhold Niebuhr for audiences all over the place, you, you always get a laugh line from Stanley Hauerwas saying, I love Reinhold Niebuhr. I don't agree with him at all. And I, I want to step back as a producer, a creator, a filmmaker. And, and I want to think about that because, you know, in a storytelling profession, you have certain things that you almost have to plant in the narrative to know that the narrative is working the way that you want it to. And so I want to track that moment through your edit process as this thing sort of came into your rough script and your rough assembly cut. And as it as you moved it through maybe a test screening and you finally got it in, into the screenings for audiences around the country. Talk to me about how you and your team tracked those moments of, okay, now we know that this is working. Well, some of it's instinct. 
it's just after making film after film, you just get an instinct about who your audience is and how they're going to respond to it. You, you don't always get it right, but you have to hope that your instincts won't lead you too far astray. And so for me, I heard that line from Stanley. I thought, oh, let's put that up forward. And that's the other thing is where do you place it in the course in the arc of the film? So I said, let's put it forward and let's, let's get it right out there. Uh, to say that the, the look that we're going to take at this controversial political figure, Reinhold Niebuhr, it's going to have some balance to it. There'll be people who will argue with who he is and what he said. And so um, for me, we try to bring in a little bit of humor, a little bit of levity, because some of these topics, David, the issues that they're all fighting are so profound and so they're so total. I mean, we're talking about Reinhold Niebuhr talking about nuclear weapons, the, the obliteration of the world. We're talking about the burden of slavery in America with Howard Thurman. All of these are heavy topics. And people, I think, in the course of the film need a little break. They need to be able to say, step out of it a little bit and feel as though that as a filmmaker, they can trust that you're going to give them the right dose of the heaviness, and yet at the same time, guide them gently through the, the kind of topics that these people gave their lives to to, to speak about. And that's what I think is, is part of the joy of it. And you don't always get it right, but you have to hope that your instincts will lead you in the right direction. And for listeners who maybe think that documentaries just drop like apples off trees, maybe take a moment and talk a little bit about the process that you and your team go through in terms of taking footage like you've gone out and you've shot it. How do you and when do you begin roughing it into the shape of a story? And, and how do you, you've mentioned following your instincts, but I imagine that there's also a lot of conversations around the table about what that shape should be. And maybe you try out one way and then that doesn't work and try it another way. Kind of how long do you let that process of creativity and rearranging go on before you lock something in and say, nope, this is probably the best way to tell this story and here's how we go. Tell us a little bit about that process. Well, I'll go back to what you said as part of the introduction that people think that these films drop like you know, f drop like fruit off the tree and they just appear. And if you want to break a filmmaker's heart, and it's happened to me countless times, you go to the event, you watch the film, and then you approach the filmmaker and say, okay, great, that was great. What's next? Because you just poured everything you have into making something. You're still not 100% sure exactly what it is you have yet. And yet people are already saying, oh, loved it. Next, what's next? And now you, because each one of these films take 18, 24 months to be able to actually make actually from the time that you start. And we're, we're usually in the process of making parts of one or two films at the same time. So they all kind of overlap. And, and the process for us is simple. I mean, we really do a lot of research to make these films as accurate as possible. Uh, we try out a lot of different formulas. I have to say that one of the things I often find myself doing two things. Number one, going back to what I originally thought was the approach that I was going to take. And meaning that sometimes you can uh, outthink yourself. You can say, "I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to try and say this piece of the story this way," and then start to rethink it and rethink it and rethink it, and then lose the point altogether. And I find that sometimes the instincts will hold true that you stay with what you originally thought was the way to present the storyline, the material, because more often than not, that's the way it's going to go down best for the audience. And we bring people in, we have them screen different things, just like everybody else does, see what works. And there's nothing like that first anxious moment when you show it to a large audience of strangers. That's the real telling moment. Do they laugh when I was hoping they, they would laugh? Do they gasp when I hoped that they would gasp? Do they look at each other saying, oh, I never thought of that? You know, and when they're even in a theater, you can see each other, people looking at each other saying, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that point. 
And that's what you really make these films for. We make these films because we're on a faith journey ourselves. We're trying to understand who God is and what God's trying to say to us in the world. We, in, in these biographical films, which we think of as narrative theology, that's the key thing for us. I mean, we're unpacking really, I think, important theological concepts through the lives of individuals. And when you see it lived out in individual people's lives, it starts to make sense. It starts to actually come together for you. But we're doing this because we care about these figures in terms of a biographical film. We care about these figures and we care about the things that they stood for. We're curious about their theologies. We want to see how they apply to us. And that's ultimately why we came to do it. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're delighted to be welcoming back to the show Martin Doblemeyer. Since 1984, he's produced and directed more than 30 films focused on religion, faith, and spirituality. Today, we're talking about five of those films which he has produced, which deal with central figures of the 20th century, a series that he calls the Prophetic Voices series, which is available for streaming through his website, journeyfilms.com. We'll continue the conversation after the break. We'll be back in just a moment. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and Beaches Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. Today on our show, we're delighted to welcome back as our guest, Martin Doblemeyer. Since 1984, he's produced and directed more than 30 films focused on religion, faith, and spirituality. He's the founder of Journey Films, and today we're talking about five of those films, biographies of religious figures from the 20th century called the Prophetic Voices series, which includes Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Reinhold Niebuhr, Howard Thurman, Dorothy Day, and Abraham Joshua Heschel. Well, I want to return to this sort of greatest hits coming through these various documentaries. And I want to ask you about another moment. And it's a moment from the first documentary in the Prophetic Voices series, the Bonhoeffer documentary. And it's, it's late in the film. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has now been in jail. He was married just before all of the sort of events that caught him up in being a taken prisoner and eventually hanged came to pass. And there's one moment where he gets a chance to meet with his bride. But the way that this is described is he has to sit on a sofa and she has to sit next to him and they can't touch and they have to speak loudly enough that those in the room can hear what they're saying. And then there's this final moment where they're taken to separate doors on the other side of the room. And then the bride turns and she runs to Bonhoeffer and she embraces him. 
I imagine that maybe you got that story two or three different ways from various people that you interviewed, but you chose to put it together and frame it with a particular set of voices. And I want to ask you about those choices, because for me, that was an incredibly powerful and moving moment. And I want to think about behind the scenes, what goes into framing a moment like that, where we're trying to witness something in our mind's eye that is heartbreaking. Help me, walk me through that. Well, Maria von Wiedemeyer was really actually his fiance, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's fiance, and he loved her dearly. I mean, there's just no question about that. And it's hard for us from this distance to imagine what they must have been going through. But he had been in prison for a period of time already. And anybody in a Nazi prison and a German prison knows that this probably is not going to go very well. She's very young. She, I think she was in her late teens when this happened. So she's very anxious about what's going to happen to her fiancé, Dietrich. She goes in to visit him, and they have this wonderful encounter that's described by Maria von Wiedemeyer's sister, Ruth Elise von Bismarck. And it's done very dramatically about the way they encountered, just as you described it, just as you described it, David. I had not heard that story because that's not the kind of things historians write about. There's the difference between a family member stepping up and revealing something that actually happened to a person, an historical person, that may not be part of a historical record. So she was able to bring that to life. And it just made you realize how this was for all the cards. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had been involved in the plots to kill Adolf Hitler. He had been caught. And he's now in jail and he knows his time is short. And she remained committed to him, even though she knows, this young woman knows, that identifying herself as aligned with this man could in itself be dangerous. And yet she's willing to come into the prison, offer herself, meet with her fiance because she dearly loved him. And as far as the storytelling was concerned, we heard that story first from Ruth Elise von Bismarck, and we never heard it any better from anybody else. She told it so well with all the right pauses, and she knew exactly where the drama moments were. So as far as a storytelling vehicle, it was perfect the way that it was. And so we made the decision, I made the decision to just let it play out. People can imagine what it was for these two young people to know that they may be meeting for the very last time. Now, the storytelling in a documentary film is visual. And the story that Maria von Bismarck's sister is telling is all just her sitting in a room telling you this story to the camera. And I know that there are other points in documentary filmmaking where you'll cut away to what's called B-roll and you'll show a historical picture or you'll show a sort of a tableau to set the stage. And so I want to ask you a kind of meta question about the decisions that a filmmaker makes about when to do that kind of visual augmentation to a story rather than just letting a story be in the kind of bare and raw state that this particular one was. I want to ask you about the emotional decision-making, about how you tell the difference between we need to bring something else in here to carry the viewers along with us and the sense that the viewer will get there even though they're just basically watching somebody talk. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we have an expression in our office, I might have actually originated, saying that we don't want talking heads unless the head is really good. <laughs> and then if the head is really good, what, why are you defeating yourself? I mean, when these people have the ability coherently to unpack a story for us, tell it in the most dramatic way possible, why do you want to clutter it up with some other imagery? Sometimes it's just a matter of the fact that they stumble around, they don't quite get the story out, you have to edit the story for time. 
It's just too long. You have to edit it for time for whatever reason. But every once in a while, you get a gem when somebody is able to sit down and unpack a very dramatic storytelling and do it in such a way that you are compelled to watch it as it goes down in the edit room. And you just don't want to cover it up or clutter it with other images. You don't need to because that person, whether it's a he or she, is so compelling. You need to just leave them on the screen and let them tell their story. And that's exactly what happened with Maria's sister telling the story of what had happened to Maria von, the, the fiance, Maria von Wiedemeyer, and the meeting with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it happened other times during the course of the film, too. I remember uh, one of the times when we were talking about how the seminary was formed, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's seminary, Finkenwalde, which I think were the two years that were the happiest two years of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life. And one of the people who was a theologian in the film helped us understand what was really going on in, in the perimeter of all of that seminary that was being created there and did such an, did it such a sort of profound way. Talked about how the personal risk all these new seminarians were taking, knowing that the Nazis were out there identifying them for being part of that seminary and that their lives were already going to be marked. The consequences were already in place and so severe. And the way he laid that story out, I thought was Christian Gremmels is his name. He's a theologian, just marvelous. And occasionally you feel as though, no, just leave them up. Let's just hear what it is they have to say. And then other times you feel as though you have to do a little work on it to help them out. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Martin Doblmeyer. Since 1984, he's produced and directed more than 30 films focused on religion, faith, and spirituality. Today, we're talking about five of those films dealing with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Reinhold Niebuhr, Howard Thurman, Dorothy Day, and Abraham Joshua Heschel, which have been combined into what has been called the Prophetic Voices series, which is now being offered as a streaming package through his web website, journeyfilms.com. So sticking with the greatest hits, there's a moment in your film on Howard Thurman, Backs Against the Wall. Actually, it's a motif that comes through the film. It's a tension that I want to ask you about. There's at least three times, maybe four, when somebody is saying on screen, and you know, I kept his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, right there with me. Or Martin Luther King had Jesus and the Disinherited right there with him. Like everyone is carrying this book on the front lines. So that's piece number one. Piece number two is a moment where somebody said, you know, he wasn't really a theologian. He was a mystic. He liked to, he, he didn't want to be there on the front lines. He held back. Howard Thurman held back. And I want to ask you about that tension. They were carrying Thurman's words to the front lines, and there were points where Thurman himself was nowhere to be seen. Talk to me about that tension and presenting that tension, because I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I have to say, David, when I first uh, started to do the study and the research on Howard Thurman, uh, I was myself, I have to admit, I was a little taken aback that he wasn't out there on the front lines. There's a risk. Everybody knew the risks about being on the front lines in Selma, uh, that there had been clear danger and also to public identification. That's another thing, even though even if you didn't get chased by the police or the dogs, just the notion that your picture was there. And now you could be easily identified when you went back home. There were so many risks that these people took to do that. Howard Thurman really saw himself more as a sage, someone that you went out, the people who went out onto the front lines came back to for their spiritual replenishment perspective. As Otis Moss Jr. 
says that uh, he was the one who showed us how to march. He gave us the reason for the struggle, how to march, the purpose for the march, and what to do after the march. So it took me a while, frankly, to be able to come to peace with the fact that he wasn't out there because I had so much admiration for the people who were. But at the same time, I, I think the, those, it's not my judgment to make. Those were the people who were in the fight themselves. And they didn't necessarily need Howard Thurman right there standing next to them. They say as much as they really needed him available to them to help unpack all the ideas and the themes and the theologies of what was going on. So I, I did struggle with that. And you're right, the fact that uh, people were carrying his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, it is a classic book. Uh, short. It, it's the same as Heschel's book on the Sabbath. Short, to the point, absolutely seismic changes as a result of that book. So you don't have to write, you don't have to write Dostoevsky's epics to be able to actually change the landscape. But Thurman did change the landscape with Jesus and the Disinherited. He spoke in a language that really struck, to, struck right into the heart and soul of these people. And what a compliment, I mean, to say that I was carrying you were carrying that book around with you to the civil rights marches. And I heard that again and again. So I can only believe it was true. Well, and as we're talking about these sort of moments that have stuck with me, I, I want now to ask you to talk about what is my favorite moment in all of your documentaries. And that's saying a lot because I love the work that you do. And it is the moment when Abraham Joshua Heschel's daughter is describing what it was like to be in the sort of northwest corner of Manhattan the Upper West Side, as they call it, preparing for the Sabbath. And she's describing the ways in which the family is getting ready. And this really speaks to something that you said a few moments ago, and that is that you're getting pieces of the lives of these persons, Reinhold Niebuhr and Dorothy Day and Howard Thurman and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and here Abraham Joshua Heschel, that are not picked up in the history books. The biographies don't necessarily get this particular flavor. And yet here we've got a moment where it's beautiful, it's painterly, if I can use that language. Like I, as she's describing it, I can see the colors and I can smell the smells. It's intimate. It's, it, it, and it shows you a side of, of Heschel that perhaps no time spent with his books would show you. But when you hear it, all of his books confirm it. Now, I, I want to ask you about that moment and to tell me about what it's like to bring something like that to the screen, because I every time that I see that, it just it warms me in, a, in such a wonderful way. It works because I think of, of the way that uh, Susanna Heschel, who was there. I mean, that's the thing. She was there. She was in that apartment. She was looking out that window. She was smelling the smells of the foods that were being cooked for the Sabbath meal. I mean, that that was all happening for her. And she was a young child. I mean, she lost her father when uh, she was in her teens. So he died in 1972. And uh, this was, an, and, and, I mean, so she's carrying all these me memories very close to the heart. And so when I sit down and talk to her about what their own personal Heschel family experience was about Sabbath, they all came back. The music, the sights, the smells, the candles, everything was there. And you're right. You wouldn't necessarily get that in the history books. But to be able to get that from the witness who was there, I, I think that says everything. And I think that's part of what television is able to do. I think we're able to bring the music. We, we were very careful in the selection of the music that we had for that section. I was able to find imagery of New York City in sunset that was similar to what they would have seen, as she described, looking out the window. And do everything I can to help a viewer be in that same moment 
that Susanna Hesha was remembering. And that's what we try to do. I mean, to try to give people not only the information, the theology, but also the emotional connection, the emotional bond to what I think is a life-changing moment for these people. Well, now with your permission, I'm going to turn the camera around a little bit, and I'm going to frame this question by referencing another great master of the visual image, Ansel Adams. And when we think about Ansel Adams and the beautiful vistas that he was able to provide for us, the mountainscapes and the prairies and the wilderness of the West, I'm struck again and again by the fact that probably sometimes when he was getting these great photographs, he was maybe standing in the parking lot with his tripod of a gas station or by the side of a road next to a herd of of cattle that were like mooing. But I recognize that what the lens sees and shows to the viewer is oftentimes a very different experience than what the person behind the lens sees and experiences from those moments. And so as you look back at the Prophetic Voices series and you look back at these five documentaries of which you are rightfully and should be very proud, I'm going to ask you a strange question. Martin Doblemeyer, what does your body remember about these documentaries as you think about them and have worked through them? Well, I think it's body and soul. I I think it's not only it's the case of the body and the soul. I think I came away after having worked on these figures in this compressed number of years working on the last four uh, and then going back for the, you know, so, so much of my own life was wrapped up in the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I was first introduced to his writings in high school. I used to carry Dietrich Bonhoeffer's letters and papers from prison to the baseball field and sit in the dugout. There was nothing to do. If you played baseball, there was nothing, not a lot to do in the dugout while you're waiting for your turn at bat. I'm reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I was so taken by letters and papers from prison. I couldn't put it down. And, and I think he's part of the reason that I got into this kind of work that I do. I think I'm, I think I've always been trying to understand how other people lived out their faith understanding, the understanding of how God was working in their lives. And that's what I'm still trying to do. I'm still trying to understand that. So for me to actually have a, 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 an opportunity to sit with Eberhard Beitka, to sit in his home and look across the table at him and interview him for days, knowing that this was probably the last time he would ever be interviewed about his dear friend Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Knowing that, I take this as uh, almost like a sacred trust for me. And I feel the weight of doing a good job about all of that. And so, so these, you know, I try to take the work as seriously as I possibly can, think about it deeply, prepare myself with each one of them. But I think uh, what's going on for me behind the camera as we're doing this, or as I'm writing my narration that I'm going to present to the viewer of these films, is that I'm trying my best to understand what God's saying to me at this particular moment and what I get is the opportunity to interpret what it is they're trying to communicate through their lives and through their writings. So has it changed me over the course of these last many years? Absolutely. It's helped frame me in in ways that I hadn't even imagined yet. I think of myself in Heschel's language now much more seriously, trying to take on the notion of being a partner with God and the transformation of the world, tikkun olem, the idea of repairing the world. Uh, I think of us, each one of us now, in taking up the mantra of the notion of personalism, to not wait around for what government should be doing to take care of the person who's most in need, who's right next to us. What am I doing is the question that I have to say. The whole idea of being out on the streets and mobilizing for social justice, Howard Thurman 
and says, well, first get yourself together. First deepen your own life before you go out and do that. Uh, Reinhold Niebuhr says, human beings have the capacity of doing incredible good, but also incredible evil. That's the reality of human beings. Man's man's ability to see himself as something great, but also uh, without the awareness of his tragedy, his personal tragedy, is his biggest oversight. Man thinks that he's immortal. That is his sin. Man, Man is mortal, and that is his fate. But he, that he thinks of himself as immortal, that is his sin. That's so Reinhold Niebuhr. It's just, how can it not stay with you? So for me, I still carry around that not, not just the bumper stickers, but the stuff that gets into your veins that actually transforms you in different ways by, by leaving an imprint on you. And I let that imprint stay and I let it do its work in me. And that's basically what happens. Well, Martin Doblemeyer, I keep having you back on the show because I love your work. And every time that I get a chance to talk to you, not only about the product, but the process, I come away having learned more and gone deeper. And I'm so incredibly grateful for the years that you have spent creating not only these five documentaries in the Prophetic Voices series, but also the many other documentaries and films and and parts that have been in your body of work. I'm so grateful for the time that you've spent doing that, but I'm especially grateful for the time that you have taken today to talk with me and my listeners about it. Well, I'm a big fan of yours, David. You are you're very theologically astute. You communicate in, in a great, gracious way. And so I'm honored to be part of your programming. And, and anytime I can help you, just, you know my number, just get in touch. We've been speaking today with Martin Doblemeyer. He holds degrees in religious studies, broadcast journalism, and honorary degrees in fine arts and humane letters. And since 1984, he has produced and directed more than 30 films focused on religion, faith, and spirituality through his company, Journey Films. Journey Films is now making available five of those films through their streaming service in the Prophetic Voices series on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Reinhold Niebuhr, Abraham Joshua Heschel, Howard Thurman, and Dorothy Day. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.